0: The talk is about mindfulness as a last resort. When I was uh, 16 years old, my girlfriend's uh, brother went into the Air Force. And we went to visit him, maybe a year after he went into the Air Force. We walked into his living room and he had a tarp all over the living room floor, and he had taken his car engine apart, the whole engine, every single piece of it, uh, and it was all over the floor. And I looked at him just with, I, w- I was incredulous, just couldn't believe he had taken this, his whole car apart in the living room. <laughs> uh, so I said, what are you doing? And he, he was so happy. You know, he finally in his life had a space where he could do the thing that he always wanted to do, which is find out how a car engine, you know, looks when you take it apart. <laughs> <coughs> so I couldn't believe that this could really make him so happy. And it was like the last thing that I would ever think of doing. You know, it's just (laughs) not my thing. Uh, So I was looking at this array of things on the floor, and he went over to a piston and picked it up, and he said, smell this piston, and (laughs) handed it to me uh, like he was giving me the gift of the gods. Uh, And I just kind of finally picked up on this interest, and love of car engines. You know, and I, I, you know, my first reaction was just aversion and it smelled oily and greasy and my hands were all black and disgusting from the oil and the grease. I didn't stay very long uh, in that visit. <laughs> there was nowhere to sleep. <laughs> uh, and I learned something in that visit. And I, I learned um, that one could become interested in something like the concept, car, and what really was happening behind it. You know, what is car? Free from our ideas about it. We're doing a very similar thing here that he did in his living room, but we're doing it with our minds and our hearts. Who am I? You know, that's a concept. Uh, But what we're doing in the mindfulness practice with a non-judgmental attention is really paying attention to how all the pieces of how uh, identification with an experience creates an I. If we are mindful, we'll discover who we are. The Buddha right after his enlightenment said, how many lives, how many rounds of rebirth, have I experienced without finding the builder of this house? Now I see you, old builder. All your rafters are broken. Your ridgepole is shattered. Never again need you build a house for me. My mind has gone beyond the transitory, the conditioned, and has achieved the extinction of craving. That's what we're doing here. Our minds are going beyond the transitory. And we do this through understanding how experience happens itself. The Buddha said, my mind has gone beyond the transitory and has achieved the extinction of craving. We do this through being interested in how the experience of craving happens. We look at all the different parts of the engine. or We look at all the different ways that identification with experience happens. So hopefully instead of um, feeling like we have to push away the experience of identification to get th- free, hopefully we'll have a get, get a sense that maybe like we can smell <laughs> the oil on the piston. Maybe we can smell the identification as the oil on how we create a sense of self. And we could become interested in that smell, knowing that maybe it would help us to become more liberated. The Buddha started that utterance, his first utterance, with, after how many lives? You know, when we think about, (laughs) just imagine, not just this lifetime, but so many, many lifetimes where we haven't understood how we suffer. And finally, he said, I've seen the builder of this house. It's such, you know, such a feeling of achievement and relief. Going beyond the transitory means that we've understood how we suffer and that we can live more freely. So, there's no more struggle. There's no more sense of a separate house, of an I, me, or mine, uh, when we live freely. With this freedom, there's no more craving for existence. There's no more craving for non-existence. So that swinging from, I want to live, to I don't want to be here, no longer happens. So the mind is peaceful, quiet, and imperturbable. You've heard us say so many times that it's not the experience that's important, but it's how we relate to the experience that's so important. This is going beyond the transitory. Going beyond the transitory means we're not trying to get anything and we're not trying to get rid of anything. It's that utter surrender to being with whatever really is happening in the moment. Uh, So the practice is about being mindful of what's really happening. Over and over, what's really happening? Saira Upandita taught me that wisdom is developing a mind that's ready for anything to happen. And why is that so important? You know, the truth is that anything can happen. So wisdom is having this attention that's just ready. Another word for mindfulness is readiness. An aspect of readiness is a soft imperturbability. Imperturbable implies that a lot of the time we are perturbable. So the practice is one of facing that, that that's what's really happening. is that we easily are perturbable. We easily do want to control experience rather than just let experience be. Facing reality in this practice first is is facing change, anicca. It's because of this change uh, that the insight into dukkha happens. If we understand change we can understand that we never know what's going to happen. This insight helps us to see that experience itself isn't satisfactory an aspect of this an implication of this is that we're not in control that we're vulnerable aversion and attachment are attempts at control it's attempts at not at controlling dukkha rather than um, flowing with experience itself, not being satisfactory. We all have heard many times that with each moment of consciousness there's a pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral feeling that happens simultaneously with consciousness. And understanding that is understanding dukkha. We never know what's going to happen. This is a poem from Pablo Neruda. And it's one of his last poems. Uh, This is a time in his life where he was um, living by the ocean, but also dying of cancer. And he's trying to come to terms with life, death, change, and the implication that maybe there's something unchanging. He said... So long, visitor. Good day. My poem was for you, for nobody, for everyone. I am going to beg you, let me be. I live with the unbearable ocean and I have a very difficult time with silence. I die with each wave, each day. I die with each day, in each wave. But the day does not die. Not ever. It does not die. And the wave, it does not die. Gracias. I live with the unbearable ocean. That's living with dukkha. That ocean that constant appearing and disappearing of each wave. It's like the appearing and disappearing of each breath, each moment. So can we be interested in that unbearability of the change in experience itself? Dukkha is an existential predicament. This experience that we're trying to control <laughs> isn't controllable. That's what's so unbearable. Not being able to face change. This illusion, illusion of control that we try to manage through aversion and attachment. That's also unbearable. If we look very closely at what an I, me, or mine is, It's just a temporary moment when we react to unpleasantness with aversion. Uh, So it's any moment, just a temporary moment or series of moments when I don't want this unpleasant sound, or sight, or taste, or smell, or touch, or thought. And then on the other hand, an I, me, or mine is just a temporary moment or series of moments of attachment where we're we're reacting to the passing of pleasure. I want this pleasant sight, sound, smell, taste, touch, or thought. It's being identified with experience itself. The thought, I want or I don't want, is the identification. When we believe it, we've built the house. The experience or thought of I want, or I don't want is just an attempt at security. It's an attempt at control or protection through identification with experience. The Buddha said, "O house builder, I have seen you. My mind has gone beyond the transitory, the conditioned, has extinguished craving. So we can understand craving is that identification with experience. The controlling of experience as a kind of protection. Steve's mother is 87. uh, And sometimes I go to funerals with her because that's something at her age, that she does a lot. I didn't know this woman that we went to the funeral of, but um, she must have been a wonderful woman. The funeral was on the beach, very casual, wonderful people uh, speaking about her. And her hospice um, caretaker uh, spoke. And she said that this woman lived in a, in a house or an apartment on a street that had a lot of traffic. And in her last days she was in quite a bit of physical pain. It just so happened in those last days that they were fixing a sewer next to where she lived. And the people fixing it were jackhammering a lot next to her room. So here she was in a lot of pain and experiencing a lot of aversion to the pain, really having trouble, Uh, at one point she got up, opened the window, and screamed out to the people working there, could you please be quiet? I'm trying to die in here. (laughs) 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 And they were like... (laughs) they stopped for a while. <laughs> That's what we're doing here. How many times have you felt like that? And that laughter, the, the hospice woman said that the people in the room and this woman, it was just that moment of just facing that aversion. You know, it was so clearly put out there. Uh, that she was able to lay down again and open to the pain and die. That's an example of the last resort being mindfulness. Instead of the lifetimes of not seeing the builder of the house, that identification, It's that moment when we see ourselves struggling and fighting so hard and then (coughs) surrendering. We finally get so sick of manipulating and avoiding whatever the experience is, we really get so sick of it, we finally decide, well, maybe I better try mindfulness. In the face of dukkha, that's often how it happens. Today, in some of the interviews, I've heard a lot of this sense of um, not being quite satisfied with the experience we were having in the last few days. Uh, so maybe we have this idea of what the experience should be. Maybe we think it should be more subtle. That's just being identified with experience. Or maybe we think um, we're caught up in the conceptual world. You know, I'm too caught up in concept. It's just the thought. Uh, Anytime we have that sense where maybe we feel like something's really wrong with us because we can't just be with whatever experience is happening. Uh, To wherever we are, we can step back and as a kind of last resort, realize, oh, I can just be with this experience. This is it. We often think that to get liberated, we have to get away from the experience that we're having, that it's not good enough. But really, any experience, if we're mindful, we can be liberated with. Last late November, uh, Steve heard from the embassy, from Burma, the Burmese embassy, that they wouldn't give him a visa into Burma. He had spent some years previously to this working hard to get a foreign yogi retreat center built with a, a Sayadaw named Sayadaw Ulakana there. And he had a whole project uh, with a hospital and school uh, helping the village people. A water project. So it was quite um, a blow uh, for the government not to give him a visa. He went to the uh, Burmese ambassador to the United States in early December. It seemed like the visa would come through from that talk with this man. It didn't come through. Uh, So we kind of accepted that that's what was going to happen. We went to Thailand before leaving. I left for Burma and I went into Burma with his mother and our daughter and some friends. We left Steve at the Bangkok airport. A group of us kind of like, well, goodbye. (laughs) Uh, But we had heard that the ambassador to Thailand from Burma might be able to help. So he spent a week in Bangkok uh, waiting to see that ambassador there was a certain day that I knew that Steve would call me up in Upper Burma at the monastery. The only phone in the monastery uh, was in Sayadaw Uklakana's room. So I had to wait in his room waiting for Steve to call with the news of whether he got the visa or not. Uh, So I was sitting there starting to realize that Sayadaw was going to listen to the conversation and I started to feel a little self-conscious. Uh, but the phone rang very quickly. Steve was on the other line, you know, and I was excited. Uh, and so Steve started crying. He said, I didn't get the visa. And it it just was one of those moments where I just started crying. Um, and Sayadaw was standing there looking at me. And I felt this intimacy with him, very naked intimacy. And a bit of... Um, wary at how he was going to respond to me crying in his room. Uh, So I looked at Sayadaw and I said, Steve didn't get his visa and I was crying. And Sayadaw looked at me and he teared up When little tears were coming down his cheeks. And he said, it's so sad. That's all he said he teared up. He said, it's so sad. And it was like, I was so shocked (laughs) that he would tear up and just be sad. He just said, it's so sad. Um, He went over to the other part of the room and I finished talking with Steve. It was such a wonderful experience to have a Sayadaw do that. (laughs) I said to myself, that's my kind of Sayadaw. (laughs) (laughs) when I walked out of the room. And it was just no fuss. It was just he fully connected to the experience. There was no avoiding, no need to manipulate, no need to control. It's just sadness. But there was no drowning in it. It was so light. It was just this experience that came and went. It was wonderful. It was sad. (laughs) Mindfulness is a very different kind of protection than the attempt at control that we try to do with aversion and attachment. Uh, This is a quotation from the Buddha on dependent origination. He said, the unlearned being experiences pleasant feelings, unpleasant feelings, and neutral feelings. The learned being also experiences pleasant feelings, unpleasant feelings, and neutral feelings. What is the distinction that contrasts the disparity between a wise being and an unwise being? When an unlearned being encounters unpleasant feelings, that being grieves, laments, wails, beats their chest, and is distraught and distracted therein. They experience two kinds of feeling, namely in the body and in the mind. It is as if an an archer, having fired one arrow into a certain person, were then to fire a second arrow that person would experience pain from both arrows. Such is the unlearned being. They experience two kinds of pain, bodily and mental. With a learned being, it's just as if an archer having shot one arrow into a certain uh, person were then to shoot a second arrow, but missed the mark. In this case, that person would experience pain only on account of the first arrow. Such is the wise being, this this being experiences pain in the body, but not in the mind. Moreover, this wise being experiences no displeasure on account of that unpleasant feeling. Not being displeased over that unpleasant feeling, latent tendencies to aversion, contingent on that unpleasant feelings are not accumulated experiencing that as an unpleasant feeling does not the person does not seek distraction and sense pleasures why not because the wise being knows of a way out of unpleasant feelings other than distraction and sense pleasure so we can see that when there is wisdom or wise attention. We're not bound by pleasant, unpleasant, neutral feeling. There could be bodily pain, but the mind doesn't suffer. This is a soft, tender, imperturbable awareness. And this awareness allows us to flow with life, the truth of life as it is, the stream of change, of pleasant, unpleasant, neutral. I find this time of year very inspiring in terms of just noticing how the leaves fall and when they fall. It's like they don't kind of exist there attached to the stem of the branch of the tree uh, and say, you know, boy, do I need to let go. You know, or boy, do I want to let go. Or whatever it is, it's like that's not the process. It could be a light wind or a heavy wind or not. But when certain conditions ripen, it's the right time. It's that leaf's time. The leaf just falls. There's a letting go of control. And sometimes that it's hard to describe um, in walking through the woods this time of year uh, what that experience is like in words. But it's just the essence of autumn. There's a way in which there's a quintessential letting go that one can feel. It's a voluntary just ripeness. This is how we let go of control in the practice. Uh, we are letting go of control out of seeing clearly. It's, it's not something that we can force. Uh, when we say to ourselves, in you know, a boy, do I need to let go of wanting? Does it usually happen? It usually grabs on (laughs) even more. There's more wanting because we're not, we're just wanting, wanting to go away and then we're wanting, wanting to go away. It just goes on and on and on. Uh, That's identification, not wisdom and insight. I think of this time when the attention is in balance mindfulness, and equanimity, and concentration are are all strong as a kind of grace. The house builder disappears, or the controlling mind disappears. And there's a kind of effortlessness with the non-judgmental attention. And we really do have an attention that's so light, imperturbable, peaceful. It's imperturbable because whether something's painful, or pleasant, or neutral. It's okay. We're totally okay with what's there in our experience. And then when that disappears, how do we relate to it? It took me so many years of practice to start to relate to that with some kind of dignity. My mind used to scream, no! (laughs) You know, anything but lose that. The loss of that balance of mind was so painful. Uh, And I didn't understand that actually learning to be okay with that was starting to really cut through my identification with experience itself. There's nothing like a long retreat because we get to go through that over and over and over and over again, that sense of having the, the practice feel like it comes together and then it falls apart and it'll feel like it comes together, and it falls apart. Why is that so important? Is is it really the identification with that effortlessness? Is that identification helpful? If you see how much pain we have when that disappears, you'll know that it isn't helpful. The effortlessness spaces are not personal. They come as a kind of grace. They come and go. And also the identification will come and go. It's just learning how to go through that process over and over again and learn from it. It's like it wears us away. Slowly. This is a quotation from Thomas Merton. He's referring to himself in this first sentence. What a weary, silly mess. We can all sort of refer to ourselves with that first one. What a weary, silly mess. When will I learn to go without leaving footprints? A long way from that, I still love recognition and need to preach so that I will believe in my own message. And believing that will believe in myself, or at least consent to find myself acceptable for a little while. Absurdity and very dishonest on top of it, I wish I knew how to be otherwise. Funny how I came to this, quite in spite of myself, and in spite of everything, after several days of desperation, half-felt, and perplexity. Peace in seeing the hills, the blue sky, the afternoon sun. Just this and nothing else. As soon as I move toward anything else, confusion. At times, we're seeing through the lens of Dukkha in the practice, I call it Dukkha Land. We we have managed to be mindful for some time. We're able to let go of control of experience a bit. And sometimes we'll feel experience as a kind of velocity of change, or a bombardment of sights, sounds, smells, tastes, thoughts, over and over, and moving very fast. Uh in that experience, sometimes we'll understand that that's be- how the experience is unsatisfactory. Often we'll have an aversion to the dukkha there. And it's so important to see the difference between that unsatisfactoriness or sometimes unbearability and the aversion. They're different. And I used to spend so many hours in the aversion to that, rather than seeing that that was very different than the actual Dukkha. We need to be careful there at distinguishing the difference. If we can be with the aversion to that experience and then shift to that unsatisfactoriness itself, there's often a helplessness or despair or anger that will arise. There will be a feeling that nothing works. We might try to anchor the attention with a breath or sound, or we might try to think of inspiring thoughts. You know, you pick out all your little bag of inspiring thoughts to try to keep one going, (laughs) or maybe metta. And then we might try mindfulness as a last resort. (laughs) And it's like we get on our knees. You know, it's really like getting on our knees. sometimes the desire for non-existence or annihilation will appear here. It reminds me of a song by Bob Dylan, The Space, where he says, there must be some kind of way out of here, said the joker to the thief. And when I'm at that place, I realize that the only way out of here is through whatever experience I'm ha- happening having even though I don't want to do it. It's like I have to move through that unwillingness to be with it to that willingness to surrender to the dukkha. If we have the thoughts, I can't do this, or I don't want to be here, or this isn't for me, we might think of that as doubt, but actually we're just fighting. We're still struggling with dukkha. It's just the unsatisfactoriness of experience not being satisfactory itself. But we often take it and use it against ourselves like there's something wrong with us. So we're still struggling or we're still fighting for control there. And this is where the house builder happens. There's that craving for some other kind of life other than the reality of life as it is. Uh, So try to remember at these times that really the only way out is through. And it's often very simple. We tend to think of deep as being somewhere other than we are. It's just so amazing. You know, what is deep? You know, where is deep? My practice was deep. Where was it? You know, it's, <laughs> it's so funny because it's just whenever we're here. And when we're here, it's so often superficial in a way. It's very light. The breath is just what's on the surface. Or if it's aversion, that's what's on the surface. It's just that, again, that willingness to be here. That's deep. If we can shift to that kind of willingness to be here, often a desire for deliverance will appear in facing dukkha, life as it is. Uh, And that's often where the surrender comes from. It's really understanding that, no, we don't want to go through lifetimes not understanding who we are. Now that there's a way in which we finally do surrender to how it is. This summer, in relationship to, we never know what's going to happen, I was doing a lot of errands in Honolulu. I had a busy day, but it was such a beautiful day, I decided to take a little break and go for a swim. Uh, So I decided to drive to this place that I like. As I was driving along, unexpectedly, I saw uh, off to the side of my car, um, this young man that lives with Steve and I, or was living with us. He's 19. His name's Jake. And then he was with his friend, who's about 26, named Alan. And they were standing next to their, uh, Alan's truck, and there were two surfboards tied to the roof of the truck. So I knew they were going to go surfing. And you know how when you're driving, things are happening quickly. They saw me, I saw them. And so I decided to break the car turn the car around in this busy street. So I was directly opposite them going the other way um, that I wanted to go, but I decided to stop to say hi. Uh, So they were untying their surfboards, talking to somebody. Nice, beautiful day, you know. And they finally got across the road to where I was in the car. And I was just in the car and we were just chatting. And It was just one of those beautiful, still, perfect days in Hawaii. Uh, So we're chatting and all of a sudden this incredible gust of wind, just incredible force to it. uh, And their surfboards went flying off the truck and crashed onto the truck next to them and broke. Just, And then it was this perfectly still, beautiful (laughs) day. It was just amazing. Uh, and we were so stunned. You know, we were just standing there and then realized it could have, you know, killed somebody. It was, the, they went way up and then crashing down. We were wondering, the people who owned that truck were checking to see if their truck was damaged. Uh, we went from a kind of shock and stun to all the self-blame like I was thinking, oh, if only I hadn't come by. And they were thinking, oh, if only we didn't untie the surfboards. Or if only, it was that, if only, if only, if only. It went on and on. Uh, They went back across the street, of course, and we were um, wondering what to do next. Uh, But neither of them really felt like having fun at that moment in time. So they went back to Alan's apartment. They met me about an hour later for a swim. We went for a swim, and then after a few hours, we just laughed. I mean, it was just one of the most amazing experiences. It was just to go from this perfectly still, beautiful, surfing Hawaiian day to their surfboards being destroyed. This is why Upandita taught me that mindfulness is readiness. And how many times in life do we really have to get that? That it's just, we never know what's going to happen. And that that's the truth of how things are. And how do we relate to experience changing like that versus all our judgments about how it should be? Yesterday, I had a little time And sometimes, at this time of year, I like to go for a very long walk in the forest. So, somebody told me that yesterday afternoon was supposed to clear. So, in spite of all the evidence, I mean, mean it was sprinkling all day. I went outside and it was sprinkling. I was convinced and I was really identified with this idea that it was going to clear. So, I didn't wear a raincoat. I brought this, you know those little umbrellas you buy for traveling that are, you know, have about this big a roof? Very small, it doesn't really cover you. <laughs> and, of course, they're really light, so I liked carrying it. And I went very far out in the woods and it started thundering. And I was like, you know, that's weird, it's going to clear. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder why it's thundering. And I convinced myself that the thunder was, you know, thousands of miles away. Maybe it was, you know, the Air Force jet or something. And I decided to sit and I, I was sitting under this stupid little umbrella and it was sprinkling, you know, and it was way out far from where my car was. And I was like, gee, <laughs> I stay, <laughs> uh, And I wasn't, you know, I was, I was off. I wasn't really there in the rain. Um, enjoying it. And I kept waiting for it to clear (laughs) and waiting, and then it started pouring. Just pouring and pouring and pouring. And I was just getting wetter and wetter. And finally I thought, what is rain? You know, it was just this moment where I just hadn't surrendered at all and really realized what I was doing. And it shifted from it being a very unpleasant afternoon to um, just asking myself, what is rain? What is the experience of rain? And it was such an interesting shift. It wasn't like that made it pleasant. There were times when it was the water was seeping into my legs and down my feet, into my sneakers. You know, and there was times when um, there was aversion to it. But there were other times when there was this real uh, just being with it as it was just pouring rain uh, and then finally, it ro- it, there was a flash of lightning and I decided, yeah, I think maybe it's time to go back <laughs> to the car. Uh, but, uh, surrender. When we surrender to what's happening in our present moment experience, that surrender doesn't make the experience pleasant. You know, it just makes it what it is. There might be a range of experience of pleasant, unpleasant, neutral. And there might be a range of identification and reaction. Uh, But that, that shift to surrender makes us free. We can live freely. The mind is imperturbable. Going beyond the transitory means going beyond identification with experience itself. And so we start to understand that attachment can't untangle attachment. And that aversion can't untangle aversion. And that delusion can't free us from delusion. It's only in that moment of pure mindfulness that we can be free in that moment. So it's the truth that frees us. It's the purity of awareness that's deep. It's not the experience that will ever be deep. It's that purity of awareness that's deep. No matter what's happening, we bring that mindfulness to the experience, especially when it's the last resort. In identification, when we are the house builder, sometimes this process of liberation can seem impossible. <coughs> but when the house builder isn't present and we've let go of control, there's no more controlling mind. There's a way in which we will feel like we have all the time in the world. There's no hurry when there's no attachment or aversion or delusion. The sense of having all the time in the world, or t- is a timelessness that sacred space? That experience is so exquisite that when a thought of aversion might appear in the mind and then we see it clearly, uh, there's no hurry to get rid of it. Uh, all that we want to do in that moment is to let that thought take shape and to see it clearly. We just see that it's just the thought that's deep. It's pure awareness that just sees the thought as a thought, lets it come and go. So we can see this potential for this um, awareness that's immeasurably intimate with the experience, but immensely empty. That can seem like a paradox, the intimacy and the emptiness. But that's when the deepest peace happens. The most important thing to remember is that when the mind is perturbable, when we don't have a mind that's ready for anything, that we don't need to fake imperturbability. To just bring the mindfulness to that and that that will cut through the identification with needing to look like we're free when we're not free. And then anchor the attention. Do the best you can to be here with the identification. It's like Merton says, at that time it feels like we're just a weary, silly mess and that anything that we do other than being simple is confusion. Let's sit for a minute. May our minds go beyond the transitory